I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Jeffrey Drazen, the Editor-in-Chief. The journal is just launching a series of review articles on clinical trials. Dr. Drazen, can you tell us why that's important right now? Clinical trials are the vehicle by which we transfer things that we think into things that we know or we don't know. In the early 1900s, physicians relied on case series to determine whether a medicine or a diagnostic approach worked. But we soon discovered that that was fraught with bias, and things we thought worked actually didn't work, and things that we thought didn't work might have worked. And we needed a way of assessing treatments and diagnostics that was unbiased. We haven't come up with anything that's perfect, but in the last 60 to 70 years, we've developed the randomized controlled trial, and it's been reincarnated over and over again as we develop it in a way specific for use to answer very detailed medical questions. And so that art has advanced a lot, and a significant advancement has taken place in the past 15 to 20 years. For the New England Journal of Medicine, this is our sweet spot. We publish a lot of clinical trials. We publish ones that we think can impact clinical practice and ones that are just merely interesting. So we thought this is a really good time to review the state of the art of clinical trials. You brought in some outside editors to help with this series. Why is that and who are they? We had four outside individuals help us with this. First was James Ware, a statistician at the Harvard School of Public Health, who sadly just passed away from a two-year battle with esophageal cancer. But he had been instrumental in thinking about how to use statistical designs to improve the information extracted from clinical trials. David Harrington, another one of our statisticians, has now joined the team. John McMurray, a cardiologist in Scotland who does clinical trials for a living in the area of cardiology, and his trials have influenced practice in many ways, is another member of the team. And Janet Woodcock, who is head of the Center for Drug Evaluation and Research at the United States FDA, and who spends a lot of her life evaluating clinical trials to determine how they impact the use of medications in the marketplace, rounded out the group. I understand that the articles fall into three general areas. One of them is new trial designs. What can you tell us about that? The art of clinical trials has changed. When they were first done, physician investigators identified two groups of people who they matched as best they could, and they gave one group the active treatment, one group the control, and followed them over time. Soon they introduced randomization and blinding so that that combination allowed for balance between the two groups and control of bias. And over the years, lots of new ideas have been introduced. So now we have trials which are comparative effectiveness trials, adaptive trial designs where we try to get the most information out of people in a clinical trial by changing the rules as the game is played in a very predefined way so that there isn't bias associated with that. We have pragmatic trials which get the kinds of patients that the average clinician sees in the average clinical setting. We have basket trials where many drugs can be tested using the same protocol and only the winners are brought forward. We have trials in health policy, which tell us how to administer an intervention which is going to change how people handle their health care. Totally new idea. And we have non-inferiority trials where you have two treatments, one may be new, one may be old, and you want to show the new treatment isn't inferior to the old treatment. Sometimes they even come out to be better. But that design is significantly different 
from a simple comparative design. So these needed to be explained and their basis clearly outlined for the reader who is doing clinical trials to see what's new. Another of the categories could be broadly defined as outcome management. What does that entail and and why is it important? When you have a positive trial, what does that tell you? When the primary outcome fails, what does that tell you? If you have a trial that was stopped for safety or efficacy because of a data safety monitoring board, what does that tell you? What happens when you have a trial done at 20 places and the results in 13 are one way and two are the other? How do you deal with variation among centers? How do you deal with the ethical issues of equipoise? These are all the kinds of things that a clinical trialist needs to know, needs to understand, and needs to incorporate in his or her trial designs as they move forward. So in this series, we've concentrated on these new points to help clinical trialists understand where the art is at this time. And the third category looks at how different sponsors view and use clinical trials. Tell me about that. Clinical trials are done for lots of reasons. We're all familiar with the one bun by big pharmaceutical companies to introduce a new therapy that's going to make a difference, let's say for the treatment of hepatitis C or for the treatment of heart failure. But quite often you'll have a small drug company doing a trial for a very niche population, people with a rare disease, and they have enzyme replacement therapy that might be just the right thing for that group. And they have different sets of trial designs and different challenges. Those are outlined. We have trials of devices as opposed to drugs or diagnostics. And these kinds of trials are all very different and they're done for different reasons. And we're trying to show our audience, show our readers, what the differences are of how trials vary by sponsor to get the answer that people need, not necessarily the answer that the sponsor wants. Finally, what kind of audience are you directing this series to and what do you hope people will learn from it? This is not a primer in how to do a clinical trial. This is a graduate course in clinical trials. We expect the people who read this will be people who do clinical trials. We think it'll be controversial. There'll be areas of a lot of discussion. And the goal is to get people who do clinical trials to be thinking about them, how we can improve them to get better information out of the patients who put themselves at risk. Because in the end, it's that's what matters. We're all healthcare professionals. We're all trying to provide better treatments for patients. Patients put themselves at risk in clinical trials. And we want to get the most data by putting the fewest patients at risk to learn how we can use these to help people suffering from disease. Thank you, Dr. Drazen.